0: You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon.
1: Well, hey there, all you tri-freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we try to simplify the world's most complicated sport and give you all the tips and tricks so that you can be your own Zen master out there when you try to conquer these endurance sports and have a good time while doing it. All right, on today's show, we have author Matt Fitzgerald. This is really cool. He has written a whole bunch of books on the sport of triathlon, endurance in general, uh Wrote Diet Cults, which is one of my absolute fa- favorite books. It's a must-read, uh, Iron War. And also, the latest book he put out is How Bad Do You Want It?, which is a sports psychology book with lots of examples of, uh, from, from the real world, uh, that examples you might have heard of, where um, what drives people and uh, what leads to success, what leads to failure. So that you can leverage your environment as much as possible and, and uh, use these things to um, to find success yourself. And uh, we not only talk about uh, some of the things I found in this book and in diet cults uh, and other things that he's done. He does a lot of stuff with uh, triathlon um, where, uh, yeah, examples for myself of stuff uh, that we're able to um, cross-reference and, and chat about and uh, how things work, and also what drives him to write so much. And uh, it's really interesting, actually, where, why he got started writing and, and uh, what motivates him to want it so bad. <laughs> and actually, we, we had a nice chat about, um, and about the diet cults part. Um, I've done raw vegan, and I've done high-fat, low-carb. And had really bizarre experiences with that. And boy, we go deep on that part. That's that's uh, some really interesting stuff. That's my favorite topic of, of them all. So anyway, I'm really excited to have him on and for us to cover uh, some nutrition advice and motivation, which actually a lot of this podcast, Zen and Yard Triathlon, is about motivation uh, to get it done and how to find the motivation and then if you turn that on its head, uh, motivation comes from energy and you get energy by, uh, what you eat. So there you go. This is all around like a really great episode, but let me tell you where I am. I am outdoors on a lunch break in a beautiful, oh, uh, it's a parking lot, but it's actually really pretty. And there's a freeway way off in the distance, but there's flowers blooming and it's actually a little bit cool outside with a breeze and this is all relevant because i live within an hour's drive to the west of the woodlands where ironman texas went down the uh the other day and boy that was a bizarre bizarre race all right so let's go ahead and get started with the news and let's start with ironman texas here we go Okay, it, like I said, it is cool and a light breeze here today, but it was not at Ironman Texas for the first part. And the whole thing started off with uh, new news that they were going to have to modify the swim. The swim uh, does about two miles or so in the, uh, in the lake, maybe a little bit less than that. And then the remainder swims down a canal to the uh, race finish and Or the swim finish. Well, yeah, it's actually kind of really close to the race finish too. And the um, with all the flooding that happened and you get runoff and nasty stuff in the water, uh, that uh, the canal isn't big enough to really kind of flush that stuff out and it backs up. And so now that was considered too uh, nasty to swim in. And this is on top of the bike course being shortened down to 94 miles. Uh, from 112, which is a really big deal. That upsets a lot of people. And, yeah, it's just like one thing after another with this race. But, oh, no, it gets, it gets worse. But um, this is the first year that they've had it that I haven't gone to go do it, and it was just a coincidence. Um, I'm a big fan of Ironman Texas, except that it's ridiculously hot, and it's too late in the year in Texas. Um, and in the next few years, they're um, shortening the date uh, closer to uh, Christmas like uh, closer uh, where it should be should because Texas is wild with the weather as you're about to find out the uh, it should be cooler but man I once it hits like uh, January February March you really don't know what you're gonna get it can be really really nasty and hot So, let's see, the uh, race started off, and we have, well, let's go ahead and say who won. We have uh, Germans, uh, Patrick Lange, and or maybe Lange, and uh, Julia Geiger, I can't really pronounce her last name, but um, Lange ran a 240 marathon. What's really interesting about that is that sounds really, really fast, and it is for an Ironman, but the whole thing is this wasn't a... Full Ironman. This was a shortened bike, and when you take the end off the bike, it's the end of the bike that actually uh, is so difficult. It's that's the part that sucks the most and drains you of the rest of your hydration, the rest of your calories, the rest of your energy. Uh, just man, you by the time, yeah, you come off the bike if you could get rid of a portion of a bike so that you could run faster, it'd be the last part. And so you get a result of somebody running a 240 marathon. And that's, uh, well, you know, it, you've got to compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges. And uh, so we've got that. And then there was a uh, female pro that uh, beat all the men in the swim from, from what I read and I think her last name is Brandon or something, but uh, that that's amazing. She swam like a 45 or 48 or something like that. I think it was a 48-minute swim, and this isn't a lake, right? There's no current, so that's a—that's uh, pretty astounding, and let's see. We had Starkey on recently, uh, Andrew Starkowitz, and he had a bummer of a day. He got... He managed to get a 14-minute lead after the bike. Even in a shortened bike, he got 14 minutes off the front. And then on about mile 7 or so, they say about a third of the way through the run, um, he had to drop out because of a pinched nerve. And I'm reading conflicting reports. It was either his glute, his butt cheek, or his uh, foot. Either way, that sucks. And uh, I was really rooting for him to do well. And also, AJ Balco... uh, another male pro he flatted out on the bike i think he said something like 12 miles in um picked up a nail in uh his tire and it just ruined the tire by the time he got a new uh wheel put on then um or a new tire on the wheel then um it had been 35 minutes so i i i don't know if he actually finished the race or not but uh i think it was pretty much over at that point in his mind and so that sucks um Somebody did say that all the turns they called this uh, termageddon because of the shortened bike course went through all these neighborhoods with lots and lots and lots of turns um, it ended up uh, not being that bad uh, Somebody else said that there was a lot of flat tires, but you always got to take that that's a um, that's an opinion you see a few people with flat tires then you think there's lots of flat tires and that's that could be just a coincidence and oh my gosh, they had the most epic video footage of an implosion of running Matt Hanson, who I think won last year. I know he's won Ironman Texas before either last year or the year before. And he was, I think he got a bike penalty. And so they made him sit out, you know, for, for a few minutes. So now he's trying to catch back up and he overdid it on his, uh, effort to catch back up. And he passed, uh, all the way up and got into third place on the run And when uh, I'd gone out training that morning and when I turned on uh, the video feed and then put it on the the, uh, TV and was watching (laughs) the, uh, oh my gosh, his, they said, look at this guy, look at Matt Hansen, look at his run form. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's not doing well. This is not going to last long. And Matt Hansen's run form was just Coming apart, he was running with his arms like kind of flying everywhere, and uh, it's a really good uh lesson in what you look like when you're about to implode. And then just a few minutes later, um, yeah, he uh, he had to stop uh, and start uh, walking and and uh, take on more calories. I forgot what place he got, I think he may have gotten 10th anyway. He still finished, um, and that was about halfway through the marathon, maybe. And then, oh man, let's see, Jocelyn McCauley, who's been on this show before, she got 10th female pro, but that's after she collapsed uh, just over half a mile from the finish line, sat there for 30 minutes, they were trying to give her medical aid, and she kept refusing and refusing, after 30 minutes of being a mess on the pavement, she got up and then ran the rest of the way to the finish line, and she posted the video of her running to the finish line on um, on Facebook. And it is horrendous. It's one of those where you're like... It's one of those videos that either makes you really never want to do Ironman or it makes you totally want to do an Ironman because of the struggle. Uh, it looks like she's running in slow motion. And uh, she starts leaning over sideways. And then a whole bunch of people catch her when she comes across the finish line. I mean, she looked terrible but it was also really amazing to see uh, how hard you'll try for something when it's so close and you're almost done and she still got 10th place which is kick ass um let's see and all the all these struggles on race day had to do with um the heat i went out uh myself and like i said i live really close to uh, the woodlands and i went out that morning And even I wasn't doing Ironman Texas this year. I'm doing uh, Whistler instead and kind of in honor of of the race. I went out and trained in this crap anyway. And I did a uh, three-hour ride, just over three hours, and then uh, just over an hour and a half uh, brick run. I mean, I came inside and cooled. I didn't cool down, but I mean, like not on purpose, but, you know, I was getting my run stuff together. So I was only inside for like 10, 15 minutes, but, you know, a little break there. I went out and ran in the stuff. I lost five pounds in just four and a half hours uh, of out training in that stuff. Yeah, it was. And I, I had all the water I wanted to drink. I was running with a Camelback on. And a biked with a Camelback on. And water and all this, all of this hydration. And I still lost five pounds. And uh, it was one of those runs where I came in and... uh I, my, my shorts look like I had been swimming in them. They were absolutely, completely, 100% uh, soaked in water. And, um, yeah, oh, my God. And I had a headache the rest of the day. So the heat and humidity was brutal. And when I was watching the video footage of, of the race, uh, you know, like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, I was kind of watching all that stuff. All of a sudden, uh, outside, it starts uh, clouding up. That's what we call it here. And then uh, then I hear thunder. What in the world's going on. I go out there and it starts raining and it starts lightning outside, and then I find out because I'm kind of following on the uh on slow twitch and also on a Twitter feed, uh, they started having a hailstorm and lightning on the uh race course, and they had to stop the race officially. The race got stopped, and it was stopped for so many minutes like 45 minutes or so maybe an hour and uh, people are gonna have to correct me on this because i wasn't there and honestly it takes it's such a puzzle from afar trying to figure out what happened and where everybody stands um because they sent everybody to the nearest timing mat or they got their time from the from the nearest timing mat um whenever they canceled they canceled the race i think and uh so it's just crazy absolutely crazy um this was like the most unlucky year for this race, and uh, it was cursed, is <laughs> what we say. And it could happen to any race. It has happened to several races. Summer Tahoe uh, was just, uh, you know, wildfires and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and uh, with the whole bike course thing, and then the flooding, and uh, and and the swim issue, and and all the turns, and the I mean, just like on and on. And now lightning and hail cutting the race short. Um, that's the kind of thing that ruins a race for registration because nobody wants to do it the next year because it was so bad sometimes. The, um, I did Wisconsin in 2007, and I think in 2006 they had just nightmarish weather uh, the day of, and people it still sold out the next day. But with the bike course issues, um, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what happens with Ironman Texas next year. Will it be um, uh, sellout soon? Will it even happen at all? I I want to do it next year because the date will be earlier, uh, which means there's a good chance it'll be cooler. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, going out and training in that heat, um, specifically and seeing what happens on a big bike break, bike run brick, uh, really taught me. Like, man, it's 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 terrible out there in the uh, in the heat. Okay, so that is. Iron Man Texas. Okay, and then we got some really crazy and sad news uh, where professional triathlete Sophie Goose or Sophie Goss, I don't really know how to say her last name, but she is Dutch and she's on Team BMC. Uh, she's a triathlete. She was out on a run, just on a training run, and somebody jumped her and stabbed her in the back, in her lower back while she was running and, um, stabbed her, it looks like, in the kidney, and she's in the hospital, um, hopefully she'll be alright in the end, and I think they got the guy, but, uh, man, just, I have no words to say for something so terrible, and this kind of stuff happens to people all the time out, uh, running, so, uh, be careful, be safe out there, and, um, especially if you're a woman, you know, try to run in a place where there's, uh, lots of streetlights, try to be unpredictable, try to never like set up a pattern so that you run one day, the same place, same time, over and over and over again. That's how people kind of start eyeballing you and think you're predictable, and then they can attack you because they know where you're going to be, and they can be prepared to jump you. And it happens to guys all the time, too. And it's just uh, really, really ugly. And um, so, yeah, let's just move on from that. That's just not... and then um, garmin introduced the uh, fr735 xt so this is a forerunner uh, 735 it is not the successor to the garmin 920 uh, triathlon watch but it almost seems that way because it does have triathlon functions um, it's a really all-around uh, looks like, looks to be like a great watch Um, Now, here's the difference between it and the 920. And it is the biggest thing is it has a battery life of 14 hours. So if you're into doing Ironmans, yeah, man, you you need to be uh, almost a pro. A, you know you need to be an elite or um or pro for this thing to uh, work for you um it does have built-in heart rate monitoring uh with the laser the green laser thing on the back of the watch so you don't need a heart rate strap which a lot of especially women enjoy because they don't have to wear the the strap which messes with their or their bra messes with the strap and you know, all this stuff um but the uh the the heart rate reader on the back Needs clear sight to your wrist, and which means that there is no mounting bracket for it yet, for you to pop it off the watch and then put it on a um, on your bike as a bike computer. That's a thing with the 920. Is you can twist it off, and then um, and then twist it on. You can twist it off the band and then twist it on to a bike mount, and that's really really cool. But with the heart rate reader on the back. Um, the mount would block the heart rate reader uh, if it was on your wrist. It's weird. It's a complicated thing. You have to look at the 920 and see this thing, um, how it does that. So that's another sign that this is not the 920 successor. And also, um, it does not have a built-in barometric, barometric? Yeah, yeah, barometric. That's it. Uh, Altimeter. That records your elevation uh, really accurately, the elevation gain. And then what it does do is it records uh di2 shifts if you have electronic shifting and you're kind of interested in how much you shift and what you shifted to then it does record that which is pretty cool there's a lot of swimming stuff uh, biking stuff um and it's got a whole lot of other stuff and if you want to see a comparison chart then check out my homie uh dc rainmaker dc rainmaker com and check out his review and uh yeah he does the best reviews in the business and really um Spells it out on who it's for, what it does, and why you would maybe want it or maybe not, or want something else. Very unbiased. It's really cool. He's a huge service to the uh, to the to the sports industry because he tells the makers, uh, "Geez, this this is not going to work," or "This is what you should do." Because he does it unbiased. It's really cool. And let's see last two bits of news. Um, there was a Paralympics swimmer that got disqualified from the Olympics. Uh, for having a tattoo of the Olympic rings. <laughs> so, I think it's in the UK. You, there's a rule you can't have tattoos uh, showing. You have to cover them up, which is the dumbest thing ever. And uh, so he got banned from the Olympics for having a tattoo of the Olympics. And I don't know. That was a story about a week ago. So I don't know what's, um, what's uh, happened with that. And then also uh, there's a new twist shift, uh, shifters for electronic shifting. And I don't know if it works with SRAM or DI2 or both, but it's really cool. It makes you think really neat. You twist it to the right and it shifts up, twist it to the down, shifts down, uh, twist it to the left and it shifts down and then, uh, push it forward just a little bit and then twist right to go up and then, uh, left to go down in the big chain ring. First one was the uh, small chain uh the cassette in the back. And that is made by a company named Zerbel or Zerbel. Z I R B E L and I saw it on Bike Radar, I think was the website. And it's kind of kind of cool. I got started in mountain biking with a grip shift and I think uh, it's great stuff. And this is kind of like it. so all right that is enough of the news. Let's go ahead and get started with our interview with Matt Fitzgerald. I'm uh, really, really excited to have him on. Like I said we cover all kinds of different stuff and uh, delving into all the crazy nutrition stuff that I've run into, uh, what makes what makes people want to do uh, want to win and want to train harder and uh, also what drove him. Uh, as an author is a really interesting twist in the conversation. And uh, yeah, that's towards the end there. so I want you to definitely check it out. All right, let's get started with Mr. Fitzgerald. Here we go.
0: Welcome to the
1: next level. All right, let's try again. There we go. How you doing? All right, how are you? Good. So I've, I've uh, listened to your voice so much, it's fun yeah. to hear. <laughs> That's me. I'm getting that reaction when people talk to me after being on the podcast all this time. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, you going to go ahead and start recording? You bet. All right. I am here with Matt Fitzgerald. How's it going? Doing well, thanks. And where are you right now? I am in
0: California, Central Valley.
1: Central Valley. And... You are the author of a whole lot of books that a lot of people in triathlon know a lot about. So Iron War, uh, Racing Weight, and one of my favorites is Diet Cult, yep. Diet Cults, and then also uh, you've just come out with,
2: uh, Oh, let's see,
1: How Bad Do How You bad Want, you it? want it? Yeah, you Yeah, well, I, I listened to that and then I went back and listened to Diet Cults because it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and, Very cool. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, uh, how bad do you want it? Actually, I'm going to have to go back in my memory a few days to um, t- to remember some of that stuff. But I took some good notes with lots of cool stuff to ask you about it. And uh, how long is has uh, how bad do you want it uh, been out? I think the official
0: publication date was November 1st last year. Okay. So several months now.
1: Yeah. So how are you? How are you uh, being received with it? Are are people really enjoying it? Or what are you hearing back? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been really well received. Um, I mean, it's it's selling well. The publisher tells me, um, and you know, I'm just getting a lot of positive uh, feedback on it, which which is great because you never really know. Um, Especially, you know, this book, the format's a little unusual. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. not a a lot out there to compare it to. So, um, you know, I was I had my fingers crossed and hoped that people would like it and get something out of it. And fortunately, that appears to be the case.
1: Yeah. And what I did was I listened to it on audible, which, uh, is, a. I really suggest it for athletes, uh, people that do endurance sports is to get an audible account and you can, um, listen to so many books while you're exercising, which is yep. really handy. So it makes the treadmill or the bike or, you know, whatever you're doing like, um, way more usable. <laughs> and, uh, so the, um, with how bad do you want it? I thought that was such an interesting thing. Well, first off, you read that in your own voice. Yes. as opposed to diet cult. So what what led to that decision?
0: Um it was just that uh you know, the previous books um I've done uh for which the audio rights were sold, you know, mm-hmm. the the uh, the publisher just decided they wanted to hire an actor. uh uh-huh. and, and for this one they asked me to do it. Um I was naive and therefore willing I I say I say that because it's one of the hardest things I've ever done really Uh, oh yeah it's it's way harder than you would think I mean you know I'm a professional writer so I'm like well how bad how how hard can it be Mm -hmm. to read you know my own book but there's a there's a huge difference I discovered between reading competently and reading perfectly Um, and you know when you're reading you know for an audiobook every sentence has to be perfect and you know I, you know <laughs> I didn't really realize this until I got into it. you know my sentences tend to be fairly long with a lot of clauses right um, and uh it was tough to get more than honestly three or four sentences out um without some kind of stumble and then of course, it gets in your head mm-hmm. uh, you know you start to you know tense up and make more mistakes and, and it it was rough I'm telling you by the end of each it was four pretty much four, four hour recording sessions. And I had to go back to tidy some things up. But by the end of each of those sessions, I mean, I was exhausted mentally and physically wrecked at yeah. the end of each day. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> do you hy- hydrate with Gatorade? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of, of funny way. because, you know, yeah. it
0: was like, it was sort of like a sprint marathon where it's like, it, it's four hours and uh-huh. I had to, I had to drive a long way to get to the studio. So yeah you know, we didn't want to have to book another session. So I would just, yeah, you know, I would just sit down after a long drive. Um, and I wouldn't move for four hours. So
1: wow.
0: that was part of it too, you know, cause I would, I would miss lunch you know, so I would be bonking by, by the end of it.
1: Yeah. It was, it was rough. Well, so you went to a place that recorded it and, uh, did you have somebody say like, Hey, say that part again, or, or yeah, or who did yeah, the editing?
0: Yeah, there was there was a very good um, and very patient engineer in in the booth who, uh-huh. uh, you know, just you know just listened to every word I spoke, and if I if I bumbled a word or a lot of times I would I would just insert a different word, you know, you you, you just read right over it and you just put some you know synonym in place. It's what you know the word you expect, um, and he would say, you know, that's not what it says. That's not what it
1: says. <laughs> 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 say it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I really enjoyed that book. How bad do you want it? Because there were so many examples, uh, that I could draw parallels to in my own life. And I, I very much believe in in the message is that motivation you gave, you painted a lot of different stories of, uh, different ways people get motivated. And I've, I've experienced many of them myself, different ways, um, two I wanted to tell you was, uh let's see, when I was on swim team growing up, there's a dynamic where a lot of swim teams have, they put the fastest swimmers in lane one or lane eight, right? Like all the way to one side. And then the next fastest group of swimmers of like, you know, two to six people, they put in the next lane over. Yep. And then on down until you get to the, you know, however many lanes you take up, the slowest ones are in the, in the, um, the farthest lane away. And then that would just drive me crazy that there was somebody in a lane, um, just one lane over that was faster than me. Mm -hmm. And the, the, but what's also really cool is cause you're swimming pretty much the same stuff. You know, everybody's doing, uh, you know, freestyle, you know, two hundreds or something like that. And you can see the person next to you, um, and what they're doing to be faster than you. Yep. and, So you can, uh, what they call like ape somebody until you're as fast as they are. And, um, that was really, really good. So the, the competition aspect of being like just the perfect amount of competition, uh, not too much, um, not too little, but just the perfect amount. Um, and then also another factor that you mentioned in the book was, uh, you mentioned that, um, athletes that were tested, if they were male, and there was a female tester that was supervising that they would actually try harder and probably to impress her <laughs> on, uh, yeah. and then, uh, same I guess vice versa for girls trying to impress a guy or whatever. And, and, um, the other thing on swim team that was really interesting is there was girls on swim team and, and we're in high school, you know? And so one thing that really motivated me to keep trying harder was to, um, impress the girls. Yep. And I, I moved right up the ranks really quick. <laughs> it's a powerful incentive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then another thing uh, is being told you can't do something. Yes. Uh, is such a, a a motivator and it didn't have to do with sports, but I was told I was failing my freshman year at the end of my freshman year at Texas A&M. And they said, based on your grades, Versus your SAT score, if you got a decent SAT score, but then bad grades, um, that means that you're smart, but you're lazy. And I guess they can tell that there's a personality trait where you're just not applying yourself and you're probably not going to apply yourself. They said you have less than a 1% chance of ever graduating from from A&M and we have the statistics to prove it. Mm -hmm. And that pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I not only graduated, but I uh, stayed for uh, grad school. And then I finished grad school with almost a 4.0. And then I went and found that um, counselor that told me that. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> th- and then told them, I graduated twice from your stupid school. <laughs> you have the mind of a champion. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and I think, I don't remember now because that was forever ago, and, but I think... in in his or her mind, I I think it was a guy, uh, they said, um, you know, they were probably thinking, yeah, it worked. (laughs) Right, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so um, what other um, examples from the book have you are are you seeing, uh, uh, you know, come into play right now or what are you hearing from people about about their own stories, about this kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, I'm getting uh, I'm getting a, a feedback of Of a certain kind from athletes who will, they'll do a race shortly after reading the book or listening to it.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: they they will simply tell me that uh, that phrase, how bad you want it, was kind of a mantra for the race. And I've had, I even had athletes uh, write it on their body, or I had uh, one cyclist uh, turn it into an acronym, HBDWY and put it on the top tube of his bike so, <laughs> so he was looking at, the, at that acronym uh, like, while he was, he was racing uh-huh. so, uh, so it's funny you know because in, in, within the book I talk about all these coping skills that um, are scientifically proven to enhance endurance performance and that the most successful athletes in the real world use but it, it seems like that the book itself you know, regardless of what's in it but just the book is becoming like a performance enhancing tool for mm-hmm. some athletes, they just they remember the book or they think about the book while they're racing.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like it's a talisman that you can. Yeah, you know, you can refer to and say, you know, I, I can draw from something uh, extra, and this is like a manual on how the human mind works, and uh, and dif- like it's like a selection. It's almost like a menu of um, what what actually motivates people. It's pretty neat. Um, then, uh, I want to jump over to diet cults because this is one of my favorite, favorite books. And I, when it when this came out, um, I needed this book more than anything. And uh-huh. I want to thank you for publishing this book. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> yeah. Because I was doing uh raw vegan at the time and I was getting, I was tired and, um, Uh, yeah low energy and um, just just feeling like crap and there's this downward spiral that people get into where if something's not working then they're told that they're just not doing it right and they need to do it more you're not raw vegan enough Mm -hmm. or you know uh, what how about you eliminate more of this uh, Mm -hmm. you know thing and it just and um, I think right around the same time Uh, Was the term orthorexia that started coming out, where people started hearing Mm -hmm. that? And uh, can you describe to people what that is?
0: Yeah, so uh, orthorexia is basically just an obsession with healthy eating. Um, So, however, however you as an individual may define it, you know, Mm -hmm. for a vegan it may be one thing, for uh, a paleo person another. But it's just where you know, you know, fear of eating right and the need a fear of eating wrong and the need to eat right just becomes to you know, comes to dominate your your life.
1: Yeah. And the a a really good example would be um eating vegan and then you start getting um like a numb tongue and a numb mouth and some nerve problems and you go to the doctor and they say you have a B12 deficiency. You need to eat some meat. <laughs> uh-huh. And then um, the raw vegan person will say, "Oh, well, I need to find um, B twelve from something else, and not from meat." Or, you know, like like their fat their their obsession with being healthy is actually making them sick. Yep. Right.
0: Yeah. And also, uh, you know, it leads to uh, social problems too. You know, y- you yeah. you it's. It, I mean, that's why I. Use the word "diet cults" because that's what it it comes to be like. You know, you start preaching to other people, um, you know, and alienate, <laughs> alienating them, and there, you know, there are fewer and fewer people you can abide because you, you know, you, you only want to be around, you know, fellow travelers on whatever diet it is you're on. You just kind of self
1: ostracize. All right, let's take a break from the show and let's do a sponsor spot for Salt Stick. Okay, so when I did the Grand Fondo. 100 miler, uh, gosh, what was that, a few weeks ago, I got first place, and I couldn't believe it, and the reason I got first place is because my legs were failing me, and then I popped some salt stick, salt stick makes the capsules and salt and electrolytes that you can put into your water, and then make it icky, icky, sticky, so that your water doesn't just run through you and take everything else with it. You know, if your water doesn't have enough electrolytes and salt in there, then it doesn't really do much. In fact, it can actually be bad for you to not have enough electrolytes in it. Hyponutremia, Google it. It's terrible stuff. So you need something added to your water to make sure that you get enough of your electrolytes in. And salt and salt stick is the stuff that you want. They reached out to us, and that way you know that they actually really are fans of ZenTry so we ought to pay them back and give them a visit. You can go check them out at shopsaltstick.com and you can get 25% off your order with discount code ZENTRY25. Unfortunately, only in the United States for now. Even though this is a global podcast, we need to talk to to SaltStick and say, "Hey, you know, this is this is a worldwide audience. Everybody needs salt. But for right now, it's in the United States only." And you get 25% off your order using discount code ZENTRY25, ShopSaltStick.com. And let me give you a little story about how well this stuff works. I had my little miracle bottle of, you know, mixed up fuel and salt added to it and some caffeine off the back of my bike at the latest race that I did, 100 mile Grand Fondo. And it promptly fell off at mile one. (laughs) But I didn't know it until mile 20. So I couldn't go back and get it. And I started getting uh, cramps in my legs because I was not taking in any salt or electrolytes. Uh, Yeah, and it started to uh, work against me. And, oh, wait, there goes a cyclist. I see him right now while I'm recording this. Go, dude, go, go. You got it. He's probably using salt sticks. Anyway. But you know what I did have? I had the salt stick depend, dispen, depend, dis, de, dispenser mounted to my aero bars. And it was super easy. I was like looking around like, like there's much to look around at. I was like, oh, crap. What do I do, man? I'm starting to get cramps in my legs. And what, what what's the solution? And then from Half Ironman Galveston, they call it Texas 70.3, I had a salt stick uh, dispenser still uh, velcroed to my aero bars and it had salt stick capsules in it and it was super cool so i just twisted it and out came a salt stick capsule and i popped it in my fuel hole and then boom it was like a miracle the cramps had gone away in my legs And I was able to keep on cruising. And about an hour later, I felt the cramps kind of coming back a little bit. So I popped another capsule. And then, boom, they went away. And then I crossed the finish line in first place. And it would not have been possible without some salt stick capsules. You know what the coolest thing about salt stick stuff is that you can actually uh, pop the capsules open. So you can drop the contents uh, into your water and mix it up and or you can uh, swallow it whole and or you can throw it in your fuel hole and then chew it up and then you've got uh, some salt in your mouth and that triggers some nerve relaxation and uh, lets your uh, lets your quads kind of relax a little bit wherever your cramps are it really does work it's pretty cool so it's awesome stuff and i'd like to thank salt stick for being on the show and yeah that's it go check them out saltstick.com Shopsaltstick.com, like I said, 25% off. Get that dispenser, man. That thing is crazy usable. All right. Oh, and by the way, I got a message from somebody, Andrew M eight four eight MMM eight four eight at something on Twitter. And he said, Hey man, your commercials are getting old, man. And I said, Well, send me some <laughs> and I'll play them you make a commercial and I'll play it but honestly my um, my strategy is to replay commercials um, you know a few times and then make new ones and that uh, works you know because it's efficient to uh, you know replay the same thing if I can but I would much rather play audio content coming from listeners so if you have, A commercial that you'd like to do for Amrita Bars, or let's see, Living Fuel, or Salt Stick, and listen to my uh, listen to this show and listen to the stuff I say, like the uh, the discount codes and all that stuff, and you say them with your own story about how you use them, or uh, try to talk like me, or uh, be silly and impersonate somebody. Just no copyrighted music, and then we can. we can play it in the show, and it all be cool. How about that? Commercials made by the listeners. It'd be really funny. So send them to me at texafornia at gmail.com, and just an mp3, and I can drop it in the next show. And I know uh, Andrew's actually working on one, so we'll see what he comes up with. Come on, Andrew, we're waiting on you now. Come on. All right, let's go ahead and get back to the show. Out, bang. Yeah, what's really interesting, the, the, the whole diet cult issue... One thing I don't I don't know if you really focused on in the book or not or how much was that they tend to have a leader. You know, Um, so you were talking about Dan McDonald, uh, life regenerator, for example. And it's almost like, hey, this one person is succeeding at this. um, So let's uh, follow him right or her because they look like they got their act together and they're succeeding. And then but you're only seeing. One facet of that person's life at one time, mm-hmm. and um, how many different like uh, diet cults have have you have you seen or experienced or or um, what are some of the big ones that you've seen?
0: Yeah, so I mean, you know, if if you're gonna define it, um, a, a diet cult is um, any rule-based way of eating. Uh-huh. Um, that that presents itself as the best way to eat, or the only good way to eat. So that's so you know you can sort of, given that definition, you can look around and decide for yourself. I mean, almost any diet that even has a name uh, fits that definition. Um, mm-hmm. That that defining real characteristic is that it's uh, you know the phrase I keep using in the book is the one true way. <laughs> right. So you know any diet that that you know whose advocates presented as as the one true way or just clearly better than all others like you'd be a fool not not to be on this diet that type of thing but that by my definition is a diet cult so you know you know even even something like um uh you know the most popular diet at any given time uh you know the atkins diet was then the South Beach diet kind of took over and right uh-huh. Who knows what came after that? You know, paleo is huge now. Gluten free, on and on it goes. Uh, the you know the most extreme one I, I came across, and I don't think I mentioned this in the book, is the br- breatharian diet. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, so breatharians believe that all food is bad for you. Yeah, uh, and I'm not, I'm not
1: joking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's
0: not many of them <laughs>
1: because they don't live very long.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, they kind of take care of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I remember when I uh, heard about the uh, high fat, like ketosis kind of stuff. You know, I think people are looking, you know, our diets in modern society is so easy to eat poorly that uh, we're looking for an easy solution, right? So we oversimplify things and it's like, oh, just high fat, that's it, you know, and, and low carb, sounds simple, I can do that. And then at one point, I went out on a bike ride and uh, a three hour bike ride here in Texas. It's really hot in the summer. And then um, the next day, I saw spots in my vision, like really bad. And I went to the eye doctor and he said, you're so dehydrated (laughs) that the fluid inside your corneas is actually picked up. it's kind of condensed and like picked up the little specks. I was seeing floaters, you know, what the float, you ever see one of those in your vision? Yeah. Yeah. If you're really dehydrated, you see lots of those. And, um, the problem was I was, uh, when you, let's say you're drinking like Gatorade or something like that, you're, and you're fueling with carbs. Well, usually carbs have a lot of water content with it. Yeah. And, uh, when you, when you start veering away from that, well, you start, um, your body just loses just tons of hydration
0: yeah yeah, yeah gly- glycogen is
1: stored with water
0: so if you
1: if you glycogen deplete you dehydrate yeah and so what are you on um, on the uh, on the high fat uh, the fat optimization stuff um, what do you make of there's one con- there's one aspect of it that I find really interesting and that I I wish I could uh, make use of And it's when people uh, change their diet and then they go and do the treadmill test or whatever, and it shows that they're burning um, a much higher percentage of body fat than they used to before and not so carb dependent um, to go, you know, to work out or to race or whatever. And I think that's so fascinating. And it seems from what I'm seeing that it's a it's a process that's doable and and um and achievable and um useful but uh, what do you you probably know a lot more about this or or i think you would but what are you seeing in this and and um is it is it real or what do you think
0: yeah um there's a few things i'd say about that one is that um to my knowledge uh Races do not award medals or other prizes to most fat burning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the order you in which you get to the finish line that counts. So people make that mistake all the time of confusing physiological mechanisms with performance outcomes. Mm-hmm. There's only one thing that matters, as far as I'm concerned, and it's performance. And uh-huh. you know you'll see this all the time, uh, where you know a study will show that a certain intervention. Effects of a given physiological mechanism, and you would think that that would enhance performance, but uh, the studies that look at the the effect of uh, effects of increasing fat burning capacity and performance generally find that uh, it actually decreases performance in anything that's short or relatively short um, mm-hmm. and and then um, up at the, the longer distances it's either a wash or or you know, maybe it's slightly beneficial um but but I think um so i I think you know increasing your fat burning capacity is great as long as it doesn't come at the cost of carbohydrate burning capacity um, yeah. and it depends somewhat i mean uh, you know a seventy percent fat diet is really, really extreme, um, and there are all kinds of problems with that It's just you know what people are doing is they're they're taking one piece of the physiological puzzle for endurance. Performance and deciding that's the only piece that matters. And, and, and so when you go in all, all in for just one piece, you can have all kinds of in, intended consequences. So, you know, in my work as a sports nutritionist, I have, you know, just a cottage industry of helping athletes who've crashed and burned on, on high fat diets. Yeah. Um, the good news is that I think you can get the benefits of a high fat diet without actually going on one and just by doing carb fasted workouts uh mm-hmm. periodically um and it, it's interesting uh i've been talking for a while so i can either wrap this up uh, with the last thing i was going to say or or you can interview.
1: no no the more you talk the better that people hear me okay. on the podcast all day long they're tired i do like 3 hour shows and they're like thank god it's over you know <laughs> so,
0: so so you know cuz this is this is an interesting area and there's a lot of ferment you know wow. in in research and in you know elite athletes experimenting with different practices and and so I, I recently ran my first ultra marathon a yes, fifty mile I heard. race.
1: I wanted to ask you a lot about that.
0: Yeah. So I took the opportunity to actually to do a little bit of my own experimentation and I, I wasn't going to go on a high fat diet because I just I just think it's uh, a bad idea. You know I care about how I perform and that's not a risk I want to take. But what I did experiment with um, some some uh, carb, carb fasted workouts. Right. Um, and I just, I just focused on performance, just like an, every piece of the puzzle mattered to me. Um, and so when I got uh, a few weeks out from my 50 miler, I did my longest carb fasted uh, workout, which was actually an official marathon. I went up to uh, Napa uh, right. here in California in wine country, and I ran the Napa Valley Marathon. And so I I had a high-carb dinner 12 hours before the start of the race. And that was the last, when I I took my last bite of pasta, that was the last gram of carbohydrate I consumed until after I finished the race. And not just the race itself, but actually a couple extra miles because I I ran right through the finish line and back to my hotel. So my breakfast was just pure fat and protein. Mm -hmm. Um, And during the race, I consumed nothing but water. And I didn't really care about my performance. The idea was just to, you know do a very long workout in the context of a race uh in you know, you know a glycogen depleted or glycogen compromised state wow. um so i was sort of built up to this and i was curious to see how this is going to go and it turned out i felt fantastic absolutely great um and i had a really hard time just holding myself back um and i ended up ended up running a 305 marathon uh, the second half was 129, and I was still not tired at the finish. And again, this is zero zero carbs for 12 hours, 15 hours at this point, um, and and so obviously I've got to be fat adapted, right, or or something. But, you know, my conclusion is I'm just fit. You know what I mean? Like I, there was absolutely no need for me to go on you know just this ridiculous 70% fat diet. In order to achieve that, you know, I was just fit, and I did selected carb, fast workouts. And I, you know, I can show you the average, you know, high fat, low carb diet cult member would break his arm patting himself on the back for doing what I did and, you know, without having to you know tie myself in knots the way they do with their diet. So that's kind of my, my personal uh, example.
1: Yeah, so it didn't make you sit there and go, oh, I need to switch over to high fat, low carb right? It didn't rock your world. It was just, uh, and make you rethink everything. It was just something that just the way you've been training up until then.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, 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 my normal diet is high carb. So the, the, the credit goes to a hard, high, high carb diet, <laughs> a carb diet combined with, you know, because that was just one, you know, that was just one day of restricting carbs. And I mean, nobody, I, I mean, nobody thinks that's, what you should do i mean it's you know that's right i mean on race day even even the high fat people uh go go high carb and in point of fact i ran a marathon uh with normal carb fueling two weeks later and and ran 14 minutes faster and again Uh, it wasn't an all-out effort
1: yeah yeah you know i've had um well by the way that's the becoming ultra podcast which you've been on several times now i think yeah. Um, and I listened to that and I really enjoyed that. That was really cool that you did that. And people got to listen to your first ultra marathon story about going off course. <laughs> we won't yeah. go out here. But yeah. uh, that that goes back to back to uh, how bad do you want it, right? And like your motivation of why you were doing the race and all that stuff. Um, you know, what drives you to um, finish. Yep. But um, I've had Rob Gray on uh, recently. And he's a guy that talks more about metabolic, f- metabolic flexibility is what he liked to, to call it. And he's actually got the testing cart and he won Ultraman Florida. Um, but by not doing a uh, high fat, low carb, but by strategically doing workouts to enhance, uh, his ability to go that way when he needed to. And, yep. uh, I thought that that's a really fascinating interview. Uh, people want to go back and listen to that, but he said something that I thought was really interesting because he tests, he does a testing service, uh, for anybody. And I said, what happens when you test pros? Cause we were talking about age groupers. Right. And he said that, um, pros tend to keep burning the same ratio of fat and carbs as they increase speed. You know, there's this whole thing like where you reach a breaking point and then you're burning predominantly carbs yeah, um, only. And he said that, um, and I I guess it's the way they train or, you know, I mean, or maybe that's why they're pros. (laughs) It's because they are um, able to keep uh, burning uh, more body fat um, as they increase speed. It doesn't taper off anywhere near as drastically as an age grouper. So uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Like how pros are built differently or, or yeah, I
0: think, I think that's sort of what I was getting at when I said you just have to be fit. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's like when you put it under the microscope, you know, is that you're, you're good at everything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what, what people often forget they lose sight of is that the, the winner of any given race is the one who burnt the most energy. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: that's how you go faster. You burn more total energy. Who cares where it comes from? You right. know, and you don't even have to know. I mean, you, you don't even have to look under the hood. It's nice, you know, don't get me wrong. I I think physiology is neat, but it's performance performance performance. Whatever gets you there. Um and and yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's interesting and enlightening, uh not at all surprising.
1: So, did you see the um the uh, it's not the daily show. Is it the daily show where they did an expose on studies, scientific studies?
0: <laughs> no.
1: <And laughs> about how ridiculous they are. I got to send you the link to it cause you will crack up and it's about <laughs> how you can, um, P hack is what it's called and pretty much get the, any results you want from a scientific study.
0: Oh yeah. I did hear about this.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's like a 20 minute long video where he just goes on a rant and, uh, about And giving just tons and tons of examples that you can prove chocolate's good for you. You can prove chocolate's bad for you. You, yeah. know, you can prove this. You can prove that. And it's the need to publish. And it's the need to publish new stuff that, that gets you funding. Um, so they will take just boring results that don't say anything. And then just uh, rejigger the, the statistics until you find something. Um, that's useful, and then they publish it, and then the masses, uh, you know, glom on to the one little bit. And um, I think you, you said it in one of your one of your books. Uh, um, they take something that people tend to take something and blow it out of proportion. Yeah, is is a good way to put it. Yeah, um, and
0: this this is a big part of the reason. Sorry to inter- interrupt, but mm-hmm. uh, this is a big part of the reason that. All of the advice that I give on, on training and nutrition and the mental side of endurance sports is based as much on real-world best practices as it is on science. You know, I, I very seldom give uh, advice that is based only on science and is not already used to good effect by the most successful athletes, precisely for you know, the reason you just um, articulated. Um you know because you think about it, you know you know sports like you know distance running and cycling they 've existed in their modern form for going on hundred and fifty years now um and at the highest level of of competition there's a lot at stake mm-hmm. uh, that 's a lot of time for for athletes to have tried just about everything uh you know in 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 the crucible of elite competition. So it's just this tremendous process of natural selection, right? Survival of the fittest, methods that work really well, even if you have no idea why you work, why they work or don't. It doesn't matter. You know, just like, you know, know, an athlete wins, and then the losers start to, you know, emulate whatever that athlete does, and then an even better athlete comes along who, you know, trains in a different way or eats in a different way or, or whatever, and you've got this constant evolution, you know, so that come 2016, pretty much, you know, the, the most successful athletes, you know, drugs notwithstanding are, are pretty much doing every, everything right.
1: <laughs> All right, let's take a break from the show and talk about livingfuel.com. Whew, man, you know what the latest thing I've been doing with Living Fuel is they have an amino acid powder. And if you add amino acids, protein, to your carbs – It's, uh, one of the strategies for going, uh, lower carb, higher fat kind of, uh, metabolism efficiency kind of thing. It slows down the carbs and then it gets you in some protein that's really good for you. Anyway, uh, Living Fuel has some really high quality amino acids. So when I finished my bike ride this morning, I made a bottle of like half strength Gatorade. That way it's not too sugary. And then, um some of those amino acids from living fuel it's really cool but i've got a message for living fuel by the way i am out (laughs) of the green um the green smoothie that's my favorite one and then there's like a berry smoothie powder mix it's got like chia seeds and all kinds of cool stuff in it and also they have these really cool um snack bars and like these coconut packets of chia seeds and coconut stuff I am out. I don't know what to do with myself. I wander around my kitchen and my house, like, lost. I bump in the walls. I fall down. I'm like, oh, my God. I need more living fuel. So if I was to go get some, I would go. Oh, by the way, they're also, like, super vegetarian, clean, and vegan, and stuff like that. But anyway, you can... Go to livingfuel.com and order their stuff. They have a uh, a person that works there that is big into Zen Tri, So I'd like to give them a shout-out. They've got a really cool backstory, too. So, um, yeah, go check them out, livingfuel.com, and show them some love. And let's go ahead and get back to the show. Yeah, it's the person that does the most stuff uh, correctly and probably... It, the thing is, it, like... Um, I forgot what it's called, but it's uh, survivorship bias, I guess, is one way to put it. But um, you, if somebody does something that's different, well, it stands out and then you, you notice it and then you think, well, that's what I need to do to have success. But all the people that failed at it, um, you never hear from them. Right. Uh, and, and you know what? That reminds me when you said... Would, I had a little trouble hearing you earlier. Was it you said you have made yourself a little cottage industry by helping people that have wrecked their um, yeah. metabolism?
0: Yeah, I just you know I, I hear from these athletes all the time. And, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, and I also um, heard that. Uh, gosh, I think it was either Joe Filiole or I don't know if he's a coach in charge of QT Two Systems, but another like Uber coach was saying you wouldn't believe a number of people that I have to um, pull back from the brink of just destroying all their hormones and their thyroid and everything from, from doing crazy diets and then trying yep. to exercise on them. But you never hear from those people, right? Because they don't have a YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't succeed, you know, but you hear this one person that did well at it for right now and then, you, um, then they get the spotlight and you just, right. you just don't ever see it. So,
0: but getting back to the, the point I was making about um, trial and error in elite endurance sports, uh-huh. you know, so there, there actually there's a book I'm working on now called The Endurance Diet, where I, I talk about all this stuff. And you can go back into in, in the past when performance standards were much lower. Um, so that often it wasn't it wasn't actually the athlete who was doing everything right who won. It was simply the most talented athlete who, who won. Right. You know, sometimes despite doing things wrong. And you know, I give examples of of people who would copycat bad practices. You know, you know, just because someone with just a higher level of natural talent had mm-hmm. had won the Olympics or whatever. Mark but Spence's that, mustache. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. one example. That's um, a great one you know, that, that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, you know, way too much of, way too much is made of, um, individuality. I mean, yes, we're all different, but we're also all human and, and pretty much the same stuff, you know, in terms of diet and training works, uh, for everyone. And, and so at this point, um, you know, if you're, again, I'm, you know, I'm talking about elite athletes, If if you want to you know, succeed in, in elite athletics. You you darn well better train and eat pretty much the way they all do, or you're in you're, you because you're not going to get by on on having more talent.
1: Yeah, for sure, because now the talent pool is so big. Yeah. When I went to a small high school, I was the best swimmer, and then in, in the in the whole area, you know, out of several high schools, and then I moved back to Houston, and I was uh, the second fastest swimmer on just my team. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know because now we're competing against just a huge talent pool right um and you got all these kids in the area that are um you know growing up on swim teams and, and are doing it right good coaching and training and such yeah and it's harder to stand out so then then it does then it did come down to doing everything right and hoping that somebody else didn't do it right yep. um on race day so um we got a question From Richard Lane, who – did you see his Twitter handle, Rub-a-Dub? (laughs) Nice. And uh, anyway, um, he said he's interested to hear if if you stand by the diet recommendations, especially carbs. uh, And I'm I'm guessing you did after what we've been talking about uh, in racing weight.
0: Yeah. So um, actually, the answer is no, um, but maybe not for the reason
1: that – Oh, the racing weight. Okay, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so in there I, I give sort of like recommended, uh, carbohydrate intake tar- targets and I, I really tried to make it, you know, as just simple and quantitative. So if you weigh X and you train at, you know, Y volume, you need Z carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that, that was, those bit recommendations were based on just uh, available research. Um, at, you know, pr- pretty, pretty much showing that, um, at elite training levels, uh, elite volumes of training, uh, pretty much everyone is uh, who's you know succeeding at that level is consuming 10 grams per uh, kilogram of carbohydrate daily, which is a a, a ton of carbs. Yeah. Um, and there's also research showing that uh, in order to properly carbo- carbo- carbohydrate load for you know marathons and such, you need to get up pretty close to that level too so that seemed to be kind of the ceiling the the you know the maximally beneficial amount of carbohydrate but that people who are training less um, or not carbo loading for an extreme en- endurance test don't need as much so i just tried to create a continuum where you know the lowest level of carb carbohydrate intake was just pretty much the population normal and that's appropriate for people who are you know just casual 5k hobby joggers or, or whatever yeah. And it just, it, so it goes up in increments from there. The, there are two problems w- w- with that, you know, that I discovered. One is that the numbers were sort of based on the distances that elite athletes cover. So they're all duration based. You know, if you, for example, if you train 20 hours a week, you need this much carbohydrate. The trouble is, those numbers were based on the distances that elite athletes cover in that amount of time. But if you're much slower than an elite, mm-hmm. you're actually not covering nearly as much distance, and it, and that is really what should determine, yeah. you know, your, your carbohydrate needs. So what I, I started to find is that, the, you know, the targets weren't appropriate for uh, slower athletes. Um, but the other thing I've also found is that people are just more, you know. Adaptable th- than all that. And, and just, you know, it, it's clear that, and I've even seen this in my own experience that as long as what matters the most is A, that you're eating enough, and B, that your diet is just very high in overall quality. So, you know, based on unprocessed foods, not a lot of processed foods. Mm-hmm. If you're doing those two things, wh- what I found is that macronutrient ratios just aren't an issue. <laughs> you know, people who are eating enough and eating high quality they're they're not, you know, failing to recover or, you know, stagnating in, in their fitness development due to not getting enough carbs. It just doesn't happen. So I, I'm really just moving away from telling people to aim for carbohydrate targets, period, unless uh they get to a situation where they need to troubleshoot. You know, it's like, okay, all of a sudden I am recovering poorly or, you know, bonking in workouts that I used to do just fine in. Um so that's you know, it's not that uh, the recommendations are like I've uh, decided that. Oh, that's way too much carbohydrate. Uh, no, I mean it, it, it's that you don't necessarily have to have that much carbohydrate, and it only makes sense if a, again, you're doing what what really matters, which is a, eating enough, and b, maintaining very high diet quality.
1: Yeah, on the um, on the speed, the time versus distance issue, um, I have some experience with that because I went and got uh, tested a long time ago. And, uh, they said, you burn about a hundred calories per mile, maybe 110 based on your, your efficiency and how big you are and stuff like that. And they, um, well, and and like you said, an elite athlete going out for a run, you know, a 20 mile run for them is a completely different time range than for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you're right. It's, it, but the amount of calories would be the same pretty much. Yeah. If I'm going to burn 100 calories per mile, whether I run it fast or whether I run it slow, that's the amount of kilojoules you know, it takes to move my body that far. Yeah, yeah that's, really, that's really interesting. And then I, yeah, I wanted to mention earlier, I forgot, um, when I did the raw vegan thing for a while and then I bounced over to um, uh, pretty much the opposite, um, high fat, low carb, and was trying to figure that out. Um, I, uh, right around that same time after been doing that a a while, um, I developed, uh, vitiligo, which is an autoimmune, um, uh, disease where your body starts killing off melanin in your, Uh uh, I think it's melanin, but it's the, uh, it's your skin, uh, color. Yep. And, um, that, uh, looking back, um, it was my body kind of revolting against, and my hormones, you know, like revolting against whatever was going on. I think it, it was saying, if you're not going to slow yourself down from whatever the hell you're doing, I'm going to start doing it for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, cause I was trying to figure out, you know, like where this came from and what started it and they don't really know vitiligo can be caused by so many different things, but it's basically stress-based uh-huh. and, uh, autoimmune, you know, and, and the body just starts attacking itself. And, um, and then I went back, I quit doing the, uh, high fat, low carb so much and, uh, went to the skin doctor a year later. And he said, you know, what's really weird is just looking at you in the, um, in the waiting room. I would never think that you had this. It's gone, Mm. uh, pretty much gone. Um, so yeah, I wanted to put that in your grab bag of uh, weird things that happen when people's, uh, with people's bodies and hormones out there, uh, on these crazy diets that they do.
0: Yeah. There are, there are a lot of weird ones. Like uh, the ones that pretty much everyone has are, you know, the fatigue and the poor performance, but you do like, you do hear some, some kind of bizarre out there.
1: Yeah. And you know, who knows if that was actually, you know, what it was, but, but, um, uh, you start connecting dots and trying to, trying to figure things out. But, um, I I had some questions for you about your process of writing a book. Uh, how do you, how do you, uh, like collect notes on something and and do you like have a, a time per day where you sit down and write so many words or something like that? Or, or do you do it totally different and just capture ideas as they come to you or what?
0: Well it's kind of a two-phase process I guess the the first I would label uh inspiration and gestation um and that's just you know just from su- from out of nowhere I mean you have no control over these you know the process of inspiration things are just given to you um and you know, at some point I'll just get an idea um, um and it may be sort of inchoate for a while like but i'll but i'll feel like you know there's something there um and i'll just kind of r- ruminate on it i'll think about it i may read in relevant subject areas to try and just kind of give it shape mm-hmm. but i won't rush it i'll just give it time i'm always working on something else anyway so if i have an idea that i'm kind of excited about i'll just let it do its own thing and then typically you know it, i'll get to a point where the idea is full fledged, and it's basically a book concept, and it's you know, it's ready. I'm ready to start actually working on it, and then that's when I'll I'll transition to phase two, um, which is uh, you know research and composition. And I think there are a lot of writers that those are actually two phases. So it's a three phase process. They'll they'll go from inspiration and gestation to research and then writing. But for whatever reason, just that's the kind of creativity I I have. I. I don't feel like I'm. I don't feel like I'm. I'm thinking things through, or I even know what I'm talking about, unless I'm writing. Mm-hmm. I find, found this again and again, where I think I've just got the coolest idea, and then I'll try and put it on paper, and I'll realize that. Yeah, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a joke. You know, I just have I haven't really thought it yeah. through. There's all all kinds of holes in it, and it's easy to rebut and, and
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know just uh, take apart. So, but that process is valuable because that once I've gone through it, then it's actually you know more of a grown-up idea um, so so I, I'll do that you know basically I start writing before I'm ready is what I'm saying so um, instead of doing a whole bunch of research and boning up so I know what I'm talking about and then starting the writing writing process I I mix them together I'm researching while I'm writing which yeah. leads to the necessity for a lot of rewriting uh, which, which can be frustrating but you know I, I've been at this for a long time and it, it's simply my method <laughs>
1: All right, let's take a break and let's talk about Amrita Bars. I freaking love Amrita Bars, longtime sponsor. I've actually been trail running with their owner, and they have a good backstory as well. Uh, they were making nutrition, nutrition-friendly, uh, non-allergenic, like healthy, uh, good food for for their kid and. Um, because he, yeah, he had some bad allergies and they were trying to uh, figure out something that was really happy and healthy for him. And he, the dad is a cyclist and he's like, well, let's make it so that um, you can also eat it uh, while on the bike and before workouts, during workouts and such. And they came up with Amrita bars. And Amrita means Nectar of the Gods uh, from, from India is where the owner's from. So it's really cool uh, ingredient list with lots of really neat stuff. And let me tell you another story. The other day I went for a workout and I ate a... I went for a run and I ate most of a bar before the run. And I thought that I had eaten a squid that it was fighting a sperm whale at the same time and put that in my guts. And I mean, it was a nightmare. And then, days before and also days after, I've also eaten amrita bars before a workout and it's smooth it doesn't hurt your stomach at all it's so much better and they come in a uh, really uh, easy to handle wrapper you can uh, open the end of it and then take just a bite and then put the uh, wrapper back into your jogging shores or back into your um, cycling jersey or on the side of the pool and uh, they're they're actually really easy to handle and you can kind of squeeze out more bar as you go along and let's see, what else do they have? It they, uh, reduces inflammation because be, it's low in allergens. Um, it doesn't freeze. Uh, if you're going on bike rides and such or runs in really cold weather, they won't get hard. Um, it's always nice and chewy. Uh, great for early morning rides. That's exactly my point is uh, you can get up and eat half or all of an Amarito bar as much as you want and then jog out the door. And your stomach will feel great. It's really, really cool. And let's see. What else do they have? We have a discount code. Uh, Well, there's a club. You get 20% off. But I want you to try discount code ZEN2016 at AmritaHealthFoods.com. And yeah, ZEN2016. It's really good stuff, man. Oh, it's great fuel for those bike rides, easy to digest, but has great, easy to digest fats. So you can actually carry less for longer rides. Yeah, one bar. Oh man, I got an 18-wheeler pulling up next to me. This is going to be in a commercial for like three episodes. And there's a UPS truck. Oh my God. Oh, okay, they're gone. Let's get back to it. I need those commercials from you people where <laughs> you're going to record your own. I know there's lots of you out there that really enjoy Amrito bars. And also, uh, so make your ads and send them in. Again, texafornia at gmail.com. If you think you can make a better ad than this, I'd like to hear it. And then I'd like to play it. And they have really cool uh, gear. One of my favorite kits to wear. And I wear it in a lot of races. Oh, by the way, my uh, I need to tell Amrita, um, I tore my jersey in a crash. And I need to, uh, I need to get another one. Uh, and I think I wore... The Amrita socks to work <laughs> the other day. Cycling socks. And I wear them for cycling and running. Really high quality stuff. Uh, Amrita jerseys. They got a triathlon kit. Uh, cycling kit. And it's a really cool uh, logo. It's black with um, with kind of a rainbow colored uh, like lotus leaf. And uh, it's just really, really cool looking stuff. And people are always, they look at it and they go, Amrita. And then they look at me and then. And I'm like, yeah. And they say, what is that? I go, it's awesome. And you need to eat it. Lots of it. All right. So go check out AmritaHealthFoods.com. And yeah, let's go ahead and get back to the episode. Here we go. Yeah. So do you do this, um, uh, for articles too? Like when you do articles and books, it's the same, no, so process? Much-,
0: mu- much, much less so for articles. Um, they're just completely different animals. Uh, yeah. To be, you know, to be quite honest, like, you know, I, I love writing books. I love long form. I like writing articles. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I, I invest much more of myself into the longer projects.
1: So back to how bad do you want it? Like, for book writing, I mean that's obviously something that drives you. Something drives you to write books. So, what do you think it is? What are you trying to prove to somebody? Uh, <laughs> Who are you writing yeah. to?
0: <laughs> well, part of it is there, there's a romance to book writing that I, I get because my father wrote books when I was oh, growing. Oh,
1: okay. There you go.
0: So, so I I just thought that that was I, I I'm serious. From from the time I was nine or ten years old. Uh huh. I I wanted, I was trying to get my first book published when I was a preteen.
2: Uh-huh. Uh,
0: so it's just, it was a lifelong dream. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I, I, I self published a a book uh, that w- we're not going to get into when when I was sure. fresh out of college, yeah. <laughs> but my first real book was published uh, or I got the contract for it when I was 30. So, yeah. you know, it, it took a long time to get to that point. And then once I got to that, to that point, that's all I wanted to do, to do. And mm-hmm. I, um, I, 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 also like my father i i'm an idea factory so i've i've always i've always got things that i want to say and that's a big part of it like you know there's this sense of urgency like you know the world needs to know so you know mm-hmm. whatever i was trying to do with how bad you want it i felt like i can't possibly die before i finish this book you know because like you know it is just the, the most important thing for me and all of humanity that i finish this and get it out there it's like that's that's a big part of it too and it it's completely or mostly irrational it's just um
2: yeah uh,
1: you, you know what your books are kind of that theme right it's yeah. um it's yeah things people should really know yeah that's why you know i describe your books as like really pragmatic uh um uh, useful information that dispels a lot of crap that's going on out there and maybe that could help people so yes what kind of books did your dad write
0: uh novels as a matter of fact oh. um and I can assure you, if I wrote a novel, it would be atrociously bad. I just, wow. I'm a completely different kind of writer. Um, I love narrative. Yeah. Um, right now, I'm writing a book for this guy, the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence, who oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, claimed to fame is doing 50 iron distance triathlons in 50 states in 50 days last summer. Um, and it's just an incredible story. You know, it's, it's really just a memoir. And I'm having a blast, you know. So I'm ghostwriting. I'm writing it as him. Yeah. Um. And it's just, you know, it's it is so much fun. But I don't have to make up the story. You know what I mean? It's just there. Yeah. I just have to, I just have to get it out of him. So I love narrative writing. Uh, you know, obviously, how bad you want it is kind of you know narrative based. It, it mixes, or, or it sort of delivers science and practical advice through narrative. Uh, but again, those aren't made up stories. they're, they're real ones. So. I enjoy that. But yeah, my dad, he, um, his first, his first novel was called chocolate Charlie. And actually the, the TV sh- uh, show different strokes from the seventies or eighties or whatever it was, is yeah. was loosely based on it. So really? it's about, oh, it's about cool. a white guy who adopts uh, a little black boy in this case. In the novel, it was just one, not two, uh-huh. um, but yeah, stuff like that.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm back to, um, yeah, well back to how bad do you want it. And, uh, the whole experience with, you know, what motivates people. Um, And there was a bit in that book where you talk about some athletes uh, just kind of want to be in the zone that that's uh, maybe it was the Paula Newby Frazier part where she, um, she tried training like other people and just went high volume and then it burned her out. And then she came back and just did it her own way. Like just to feel good. Yeah. And that was so cool because uh, I did a self-supported Ultraman uh this fall and it was what i have been mean, way over my head, right? I've uh-huh. never never done anything that big. Um I'm an okay Iron Man, but I am not <laughs> I I I have no idea what I'm doing, you know, uh-huh. for a three days but I recover really fast, right? And so I'm like, uh, you know, maybe this is uh something I'd be okay at because every day is kinda like two thirds of an Iron
2: Man, sorta. Yeah.
1: And yeah. the last day's harder. Um, but still, the first two days are kind of like two-thirds of an Ironman, or maybe, and um, maybe because my talent is recovery, I'll be okay. And uh, my mindset going into that was, um, I, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm just going to enjoy the moment. And just totally do, I know what does work is not letting your heart rate get too high, and uh, eating and fueling as much as you can. And I'm just going to stay in that spot and move forward at that pace. And we're just going to see what happens. And if it works, it works. And so I was, it was so cool because I was able, the goal for that, for that event was just to be there and be in that moment. And because I wasn't thinking too much about the future or about time goals or competition or anything like that, I was able to actually just sit in that and like watch it as it was going on around me and be like really, really present. And, um, uh, it was, that was my motivation for, um, that event. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was really fun. Um, let's see. I don't think I have anything else for you. What do you got coming up?
0: Yeah. So, um, I, I think I've mentioned, uh, both of the, the next two projects in the pipeline. The one is called the endurance diet. Um, yeah, uh, which is a really, really cool project. I think uh, I spent about a year, fifteen months, traveling all around the world and eating with the, the world's best endurance athletes. Oh, uh, so
1: yeah, Canadian,
0: Canadian national cross-country team uh, team members. I went to Kenya mm-hmm. uh, and hung out with the runners. Uh, uh, hung out with a Japanese professional women's running team. Uh, Tour de France cyclists. And I looked for common patterns and in, in, uh, just trying to identify, you know, real, real world best practices, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because as we discussed, science can be used to justify just about any crazy diet. So, um, so, yeah, and I found those patterns, I think, you know, it just, it's, it, I think it's, again, this is something that just is kind of filling a hole or, you know, satisfying a real Need I'm just trying to make it a lot simpler, just give athletes a template for for diets like here this works, just do it
2: <laughs> yeah uh,
0: and uh, so and there's that, and then next after that will be this iron cowboy book,
1: yeah, 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 how do you keep all those ideas organized? Do you use like Scrivener or something like that or or <laughs> um, yeah, no no, just uh I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty old school, you know, it's just most of it's in my head and then uh, notebooks and um, files, you know, mm. I don't know,
1: got my system. <laughs> but you start writing in like like Word or something and then you're like, yeah. well, this chapter actually goes here and you just copy and cut and paste it to where it should go or?
0: Yeah, um, you know, so for every time I write a book, I have, you know, chat, I have, you know, Word files, separate Word files for each chapter. But then I have an extra file that's called discards.
1: And uh-huh. that's
0: where I move stuff that like just isn't working or doesn't fit, um, yeah, sure. but I don't necessarily want to annihilate because I might need it later. So oh. yeah, that's, there's that uh, disc- all important discards file. And it's funny, I talked to my dad about this. I mentioned that I had it, and he said, "You know what? I have. I do exactly the same thing. He just all he di- he just has a different
1: name for it." But yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: like father, like son.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you're doing what works.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. At this point, you know, it's just. You know, every writer they need to find their method. You know, and it just takes time. Um, uh, I think it, every writer has a, has just an approach that works for them and is slightly different than any others.
1: Yeah, because then you have ownership over it. It's your way of doing yeah. it, and that goes back to training and eating, right? Yeah. Like, uh, everybody that's successful is pretty much doing the same thing, but they have some ownership in the process, and that's what kind of keeps them going back to doing yes. it. And enjoy doing it because now it's their it's their art or their style of how to do it. A comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed it. You bet, I did too. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Take it easy. All right, bye. All right, that is a little bit of the cult back from the 80s. She Sells Sanctuary, one of my favorite songs, and I'm going to go ahead and turn it down a little bit now. We'll get in trouble if we keep playing copyrighted songs on the podcast, so we're just going to drop the volume a little bit and continue on with the show. I'd like to thank Matt Fitzgerald for being on the podcast and, yeah, the whole fat metabolism thing that he was talking about is really interesting. I uh, had a fat heavy breakfast of scrambled eggs with a little bit of salsa, and uh, just a little bit of cereal, Raisin Bran cereal, but it was like whole grain, but with uh, coconut milk, which is really high in fat. And then went out on a training ride and used UCAN as fuel, which is about 100 calories per hour only, instead of 250, 300. And I actually had uh, my highest performance training ride uh, maybe ever (laughs) and uh, it was really really interesting I had tons of energy the entire time my heart rate was uh, nice and high as if I was uh, fueled on uh, high carb uh, like Gatorade or whatever and uh, then I started the run let's see on the bike I did 72 miles so three hours and 15 minutes or so 72 miles at 22 miles per hour and felt great and then started on the run and then felt great and then the heat was so unbelievably bad that um, I started melting down and started feeling uh, nauseous and nauseated and I uh, brought the run inside right before the point of uh, throwing up and it was uh, high heat and high humidity, exact same race conditions as Ironman Texas uh, last weekend and uh, then got on the treadmill and my heart rate dropped uh, 10 beats and my uh, run pace picked up a minute, a minute and a half. Yeah, a minute and a half per mile because of the, uh, the, uh, the drop in temperature. So you can totally see why somebody like Andrew Starkowitz and the bigger guys overheat in hot races and uh, the um, smaller people do good in hot races compared to the bigger people and yeah, that's it. But anyway, I'm here with the beautiful co-host, Emily Rhodes, What's her
2: I thought I was allowed to talk.
1: You are now allowed to talk, officially, okay. now that I got all the hard part out of the way.
2: Okay, what's up? So where are we? Staring at a water park. Why? Because Kai did his first race of the year, the Texas Typhoon Kids Race, yeah. at the Texas Typhoon Water Park, and they swam in the Lazy River, and biked around the mall, mall area, and ran around the mall, and now they're swimming in the and going hopefully going on the slides in the water park. Yeah.
1: So after the race is over, they have free access to the water park opening day kind of stuff. The park. You think it opens tomorrow or something like that? But anyway, so it's all triathlete kids. Just have taken over this water park. And I don't think the water park staff knew what to do with uh, triathlons and uh, triathletes and triathlon parents. We got told a couple times that we that we couldn't uh, go in this one area. And then uh, I remember this dad going, Oh no, you're gonna let me through (laughs) like that. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm not really worried. And the um, because everything's time sensitive and uh, you need to get from one place to the other, and and uh, you know, because it's a water park and like the entrance and exit and is exits are uh, all complicated and there's not enough room uh, for everybody that uh, we most people. Everybody just started uh, opening, walking around, bar- just walk around barriers and start setting up uh, their little tents and their whatever at the um, at picnic tables that were open and stuff. It was actually kind of funny. But anyway, so Kai got 7th out, out of 48 in his age group. Uh, kids in his age group. Kai has a, uh, a good friend who's also a training nemesis, a race nemesis, Colin. Colin beat him by a few minutes. Cool. But and he got second. That's good because um, it keeps Kai hungry to have somebody just beat him by just a little bit. It'd be nice. Every once, does he ever beat calling in anything? Yeah, he's beat
2: him in
1: running it. Yeah, he's beat him on rare occasion, which is perfect because it gives you in your mind you have the um, you could beat somebody this your competition if you just try really hard, and that keeps you training and it keeps you motivated. It really works. Okay, and uh, let's see. Uh, Matt Fitzgerald sent me a an email with questions in it uh, about me being raw vegan and high fat low-carb a uh, little questionnaire that I'm filling out and I might be in his next book so I think that's called endurance fueling or endurance I would have to look faster it up than on the bike. oh Kai Eight was fast slower on the swim, and
2: then the run was okay
1: we're getting updates minutes. from Emily okay okay now you're back to
2: I'm silent uh, you're because-
1: silent you're punished sit over there <clears throat> There's an old episode where Emily and I wore no clothes but wore bike helmets and did co-hosted a podcast together in our bed. Remember that we wore protection, helmets. <laughs> that was
2: <a> joke.
1: <laughs> anyway, try I'm to find sure that. Okay. There's a picture of that online if you dig <clears> around throat> long throat> enough. It recently, uh, that might be on one of the years that I posted. Um, oh, Patreon supporters, if you go to Patreon uh, Zentry, then um, I posted the Matt Fitzgerald interview. Uh, gosh, like a week early or five days early. So people got early access. People seem to really be enjoying that. And again, there's two years of episodes up there from a long time time ago. I need to find time and put more up there. And yeah, so that's uh, how it's all working out. It's pretty cool. So let's go ahead and do... There's been some news uh, updates since I recorded the official news at the front. Uh, Jesse Thomas, the guy who wins Wildflower like five, six times now, um, he won Ironman Lanzarote, and he beat uh, Jan Ferdino by three minutes. <laughs> and that's just awesome, man. Really, really cool. He's also, he won Ironman Wales um, in his Ironman debut, and uh, beating Jan Ferdino, the uh, current reigning uh, world champion, and, and I think Jan was either an Olympian or a gold medal, won the gold medal in the Olympics, so... Yeah, that's your, uh, that's your guy, Jesse Thomas, one to watch. And I like the way people are like, oh, well, he should do more Ironmans. Well, maybe he shouldn't. If he's winning the ones that he does, um, maybe more isn't better. Maybe he should just stick with what he's doing. Uh, winning Wildflower and winning the occasional Ironman and kind of sticking with that. Oh, man, that's the trap. And uh, just because you do good doesn't mean you should do more. The um, Speaking of more, Uberman, I've got... Uh, four, and I think now five crew members gathered together. I got a guy uh, that uh, just um, sent me a note saying uh, he's interested. And um, that's really, really cool because he lives in Los Angeles. And that's probably where we're going to be home basing out of. And I wrote him back and I said, that opens up much more possibilities of getting this thing done, to have somebody local to um tell us where everything is and help out that'd be really really cool and then another uh guy said that he is a uh, firefighter in uh nevada i think he said and um that's really really handy because you got all your crisis management guys right there uh, emergency response um trained so that'll be really neat and uh So, oh, if you want to help crew for Uberman, we're still looking for a couple vehicles um, and sponsors to help uh, put people up at night. Um, You know, hotels cost, even though we stay cheap, hotels cost money. Flight, getting there and back uh, for me and the uh, probably two bikes I would have to bring in case one bike implodes. Then um, we're still looking for help and funding and... um, just everything (laughs) anyway that's uh, end of October but people are starting to look at buying um, airline tickets now uh, because now's the time so uberman if you go to uberman and then the number one uberman1.com you'll see that it's swimming the channel the Catalina channel which is 21 miles and then biking over California which is 400 miles and then running from Death Valley up to Mount Whitney which is 135 miles run it's most ridiculous triathlon ever and I'm super stoked As soon as I heard about it, I emailed the race director, and I go, I want in. And he goes, okay, what have you done? And I said, lots of stupid stuff. And he said, okay, you qualify. Anyway, the uh, bike news, since we were talking about bikes for a second, um, my Trek Speed Concept, the bike shop was trying to run the uh, rear derailleur, the very last thing. They were waiting for the rear derailleur to come in uh, because I'm getting electronic. And... the. (laughs) the rear the cable for the rear derailleur as they were passing it through the uh, rear triangle chainstay to get to um, where the cable comes out it hit something and it wouldn't go through and they called Trek and they said is it this is a problem right it's not supposed to do this right and Trek said yeah send us the bike so they disassembled the bike sent the frame back and Trek looked at the uh, frame and instead of just sending a new frame they took even more time and said no we want to look at it and see what's wrong with it and uh, you know they could have been like oh you know we got a customer (laughs) let's get them a new frame and then we'll work on this other one while uh, while we take two weeks to look at the old frame but anyway the uh, Trek said that The frame looked good. They uh, cleaned out. It was just carbon junk in there, and they cleaned it out, and they are sending it back. The bike shop said it should be, well, Trek said it should be back at the bike shop on Monday. And uh, I'll bet that's really like Monday or Tuesday. And then the bike shop said it would take them like a day or two to, um, to put it all back together. And I bet that'll be like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So maybe we'll have a uh, new Trek uh, with electronic shifting. Uh, maybe by the end of the week That's what I'm hoping for. So that's the uh, bike status. Um, I also uh, killed my jaybirds with sweat. We have, you have heat and then you have Texas heat, which just produce the humidity, just produces an insane amount of sweat and it'll even kill sweat proof stuff and my jaybirds made it through the, through the winter and through most of the spring and then bam, the, uh, they just won't turn on. Uh, every time I take them back to um, Best Buy, they go, man, you sure return these quickly.
2: am <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah,
1: <laughs> yep. And I just stare at them until they hand over a new pair. But that's the way I roll. Okay, uh, let's see. We put Kai on Zwift, my 11-year-old. Um, he, we had him log in as me and then you can change your, um, you have to do it before you log in though. You can change your weight and your, and your height and all that stuff. And the, um, what we did was we also, he doesn't have a power meter. And Zwift is that video game that reads your uh, speed off the bike. And uh, you play a video game riding around. And on Thursday, this is Sunday, so a few days ago, there was rain, uh, and lightning and stuff like that. So they canceled bike practice. So I put Kai on Zwift, uh, this video game and, um, on a trainer and his bike has a speed and cadence sensor by Garmin on it. And I said, just, uh, ride along and we're going to get to the base of the mountain. And that took about 10 minutes to get to the base of the, maybe 15 minutes to get to the base of the mountain. And then I said, and then I popped it into a harder gear, and I said, uh, climb, until you get to the German village. And he did that and actually got there uh, fast enough where I said, keep going and get to the castle. So Kai climbed the equivalent, he climbed 800 feet, which is um, 80 stories and just under half an hour, like uh, 28 minutes. I posted a picture of it on Instagram, and that was his bike training for the day. And uh, Emily's over there laughing about something. Can you say what it is?
2: A zebra running man.
1: A zebra running man?
2: People dressed up like a zebra. Oh,
1: my gosh. Okay. That's great. Emily's laughing at stuff on Facebook. (laughs) Why do you... Why do you... Emily, this is a professional podcast. Okay. Thanks. Now, uh, so the thing is, is, my whole point is, can a kid ride Zwift? And yes, absolutely, you'd have to create them account. This was just a one-time thing to um, see if it would work, and it does. Um, You don't need a power meter. You just need a speed sensor on your bike. And we also put my uh, heart rate strap on him, and it could see what his heart rate was. So I knew if he was working hard or not or if he was slacking off. It was kind of funny. And then um, uh, he he liked it. Uh, A really easy way to get in a good bike ride, you know, so... If uh, you parents out there are looking for a way for your kid to uh, get in some riding um, that's more fun. It's still not like a kid's game. It's probably not that fun, but it's still, it's still a useful tool. And let's see. Let's go to donations. So on the left side of ZentrI, you can uh, donate by PayPal, do a recurring donation if you don't want to do the Patreon thing. Um, you just want to do a PayPal thing, which is super cool. You can do a recurring or one time, but either way you get the opportunity to shoot me an email and here, oh, and also there's Hornet juice on the right hand side and, uh, I'll get to, uh, well, Hornet juice is in a, an amino acid powder that you add to your, um, you add to your fuel and you won't need as much fuel. Uh, it turns on the fat burning like we've been talking about and, um, it's actually it's just amazing stuff. It it the people that write in, let me see if I have any. We'll see if we have any this week from people that write in from it. It it works so well. It's actually really unbelievable, and it's an amino acid that's the same profile as um, Japanese killer hornet saliva, and it's what uh, they eat to um, to metabolize their own. Fat And they are the biggest, heaviest bugs that can fly the farthest in the world. And so Hornet juice is the same amino acid uh, ratios that they have to turn on the burning of, of, uh, of your own body fat. And it works. It works really, really well. So if you get some of that, then you can uh, help support the show. Because a tiny little bit that you, uh, that you put towards Hornet juice goes back to Zentri. And then you also have something cool in your hands that you can show off and it works. So it's like three things. You support Zentry, something works for you and it's something cool for you to show your friends. So like, how could you say no to that? I mean, it's like the coolest thing ever. So let's uh, read some emails, uh, donation. Oh, the Hornet Juice is on the right side of Zentrathlon.com. Donations are on the left side. And let's see, we got an email. Oh, where's the name? Well, anyway, a guy wrote in and said, I would really like... I would really, I would like... I would, I would, I really like... Okay, I'm trying to catch up here. Uh, that you have to add a music segment after the interviews. Yeah, well, we can't do that much longer. Um, it's awesome to be introduced to good music that would not have been exposed to otherwise. That's what I think, too. Uh, especially when you played Wolf Mother, Colossal. So everybody go check that out. It's such a good song to uh, wake up to and... Oh, he said, wolf mother, colon, colossal. And he said, ha ha, I got you to say colon. (laughs) Anyway, like I say to my son, stay epic. Cool. Oh, by the way, if people put exclamation points in their emails, I read the exclamation points. And I get tested all the time. People will send in stuff and then put exclamation points after it to see if I say it. Um, And I think I think the same person wrote, uh, when it comes to exercise, like mouthwash and aftershave, the burn means it's working. That's true. That's something I'm going to, I'm going to run with that. I'm going to use that, uh, donation from John Hayes and Michael Redogna and Brett Hoyer, the coolest first name in triathlon, James Medlock. And he did a one-time donation, uh, a nice big donation. And thank you. Uh, what I wrote with an exclamation point. Kypros says, Oh, we got a long one. This is good. Hi, Brett. Good to hear from you again. Another order of Hornet Juice in and just waiting on the 100 sachets. See, I need to talk to Hornet Juice and see if they're bringing back the 100 pack again because Hornet Juice comes in 10 and 20 right now. Um, and we'll be on it like a flash. After my first six weeks on Hornet Juice, progress with Hornet Juice has been amazing. Last month, I set a Master A British record. And two weeks ago, I knocked 40 seconds off. This has qualified me to represent Britain in the World Series starting in Austria in June and July will be the European champs. Holy crap. Uh, Whilst others in training flag near the end. That means they get tired. Flag near the end of the sets. My energy just wants to do more. Yeah, that's the fat burning thing going. It's weird. You just never get tired. Uh, however, I have found a consequence to the hornet juice. You need, you need to eat more! Exclamation point. That's interesting. The fat has just dropped off. Oh, that's good. Brett, what happens once the fat has gone? How will hornet juice work then? Ex- question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Emily. I'm sorry. What happens? Emily's busking. a nurse. You what do hap- I know
2: the answer to your question. What? Your question. What happens
1: when you run out of body fat? You get skinny. No, like completely run out of body fat.
2: You live? Would you die? I don't think so. Why would you die?
1: Because you have no body fat left.
2: Well, at some point, we're all going to die, yeah. Okay, but so... answer
1: that. Kypros, at some point, we're all going to die.
2: skinny I got when I found out I was diabetic, and
1: I was And you eating, almost died?
2: I was eating and eating and eating, and I was losing weight mm-hmm. because I was burning fat. Remember? Yeah. Because my sugar was... We didn't know what was wrong with me. Remember that? I had like five percent body fat
1: it's kind of sexy okay anyway
2: <laughs> except i felt like crap yeah <laughs> that not matter
1: there's that we're also into how we look not how we feel all right so emily says uh you'll probably live so don't worry about it but uh seriously um yeah i guess you need, just need to eat more don't worry about it don't worry about things that haven't happened Boy, yet that's, that's a, your that's zen lesson now. that's your zen lesson for the for the uh, week don't worry about problems that haven't happened yet it's a waste of your time. All right. Love the podcast. And then Princey's BTW. What is the music you use at the start of the podcast? Um that's called Baja Taxi, I think. And that man, that's a that's a good one. All right, so Ken Soderquist sent in a donation. Il Signal Signal I always have trouble saying that. Karen Jackson, that's nice and simple. What are you laughing at? You make a podcast, and I'm going to see how you how you pronounce things. Okay, Daniel Clemens, uh, Simon Wright, Justice Phillips, Justice. Man, how you doing? And Jonathan Woodman, Justice. Yeah. And then when you're like, say you're his girlfriend or something like that, and you're him with him, then it's just us. That's right.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm going to name myself Justice. For the rest of this podcast, I'm Justice. Okay, Justice. Hey, right now, it's just us. Right about now. Right about now. It's time to take off our shirts. Did
2: you know he's in a new movie?
1: Matthew McConaughey? So All right, all right, all right. I keep getting older, and they keep staying the same age. All right. Jonathan Woodman and somebody named Karen. Let's see. Karen. Oh, we got another email from Karen. Let's see. uh, Or another long email. It's good. Uh, Hi, Brett, comma. Thanks for confirming... On the Hornet Juice order, comma, really looking forward to trying it out after hearing all the great reviews on your podcast, period. I'm waiting for an exclamation point. I'm looking ahead. Guys, I don't think there's a single exclamation point in this three paragraphs. It's a bummer. Uh, I just found your podcast in the last month or so, and I've been listening to it every day in the last few weeks. Thanks for all the great interviews and training tips. Love the combination of your laid-back attitude, man. With the epic levels of endurance sports. Comma, inspiring stuff. Exclamation point, baby.
2: That's awesome, honey.
1: Good. I, there was an exclamation point. I love exclamation points. I've got my first open water.
2: Like a
1: lane on Sunfield. Yeah. I'm gonna put an exclamation point here. here and here. here. And maybe I'm gonna put one here. here. I've got my first open water sprint triathlon this weekend in Loch Loch Le Mans near Glasgow, Scotland. Oh wait. You think she's Scottish? Should I read it with my Scottish accent? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Glasgow, Scotland. The water will be pretty cold around 10 degrees. Okay, I can't do it. But hopefully, no, I'm getting my accents mixed. Use the Zen principles to help get me through the cold swim. That's again. Like Connor, Con- Connor McLeod from the Clan McLeod in the Highlands of Scotland. You, you, moms, get your kids. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Okay, back to the podcast. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Okay, Hun Chu, who I used to coach. How's he doing? And uh, Katie Joe, Favia. Came in with a nice donation. Alright, so that is our uh, entertaining donations uh, section. So, send in a donation and uh, maybe you'll get your name read. I want to kind of start doing that, the uh, nicknames for everybody. But I don't know if I can do them on the fly. Like, uh, or if they'd be any good. Like John Hayes, or John Hangman Hayes. That's not a good nickname at all. It's terrible. Emily's just on the Facebook again. I'm so. stuff since I'm going to be... Uh, Karen Jammin' Jackson. Are you making these up? Daniel uh, Caveman Clemens, Simon uh, Winging It Right, Just Us, Justice Phillips, (laughs) 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 Jonathan Jonathan, All Steel, Not Wood, Woodman. What about Hun Chu? Uh, Hun hun the Locomotive Chu, like a choo choo train. Katie Joe, I'm going to leave out somebody. Katie Joe, uh, slow slow Joe but she want to be fast Slady Katie uh, the flow Joe Favia there you go alright so let's go ahead and get started with the training log that's been enough silliness and Emily and I and Kai are going to drive back to uh, College Station I almost said Houston we're in Houston and we're going to fly back fly drive back to College Station it's about an hour hour and a half drive from Katie where this race was today and uh, I'm going to continue recovering I was a mess yesterday afternoon wasn't I we
2: were just narrowing it down to that little section <laughs> that little that one <laughs> time that one, time. That one I, time I had,
1: I had heat I exhaustion didn't I yeah. yeah I was still hot and my face was all red for like five hours after finishing yesterday
2: you just had no energy at all You, I mean you were grumpy anyway, but you were you could tell you were wiped out you were really moving in slow motion and
1: Lim- limping. And that was from, I figured out I did five hours nonstop. Yesterday. So, but anyway, that's it. All right, here's the training log. Here we go.
2: You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trap. I'm Hi. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! I'm gonna do sit ups till I poop myself. All right, I'm running. I got Kai with me. He's on my bike. It's starting to sprinkle a little bit. We're gonna go ahead and record before it really starts raining. What'd you say? I said, What's up? Make Make that wheel sing spin it backwards Uh alright so Kai's riding with me we're on the ultra baby course actually and Kai's got uh, some clipless shoes that he's been trying out over the past couple days what do you think? Uh, they're cool they're my new ones and, oh, it's really starting to rain. I better get off the mic or else it's going to ruin my phone. But I'm running nine miles wearing a Camelback. And I will report back. Back. Get it? Back. Get it? That's an Andrew Dice Clay one. Now oh, it's working. It seems to be working pretty good. And the Starkey diluting your fuel in the aero bottle seems to be working miraculously. It's, like, really good. Hey, let's go down here. All right, I'll be back in a bit. Bye. Hello. All right.
1: Getting into the car after a swim Monday morning, and, uh... Man, I gotta say... (laughs) I was halfway into my run yesterday, my brick run, uh, after that bike, and I was like, oh, yeah, usually... I, uh, I don't feel good right now, <laughs> and I feel great, I forgot uh, what it was like to uh, be struggling for energy and, and all that, sort of, um, so my review of the Starkey fueling method, which I'm sure lots of people do, some people are, are, are like duh, but uh, is amazing, and it's a, it's a big difference if you dilute your fuel properly to the ratio that, you know, it's supposed to be in the first place, instead of taking a shot of concentrate and then drinking water afterwards, um, man, it makes a huge difference, huge difference. And I remember, let's see, interviewing Angela Nath And the place where I got the idea for the concentrate bottle was from her, but she was doing Olympic distances at the time and trying to succeed at half. So that was quite a few years ago. That was 2011, I think. Uh, Kima, I interviewed her there. And um, then a couple years later, a few years later, when she won Chattanooga, I was talking to her. And or her husband um, Paul Duncan and they said um, do like your fuel bottle per hour one bottle per hour that is not concentrate that is one bottle per hour and carry it on your bike and the uh, aerodynamic penalty is practically nothing um, anyway it's not that much and then your bottles are diluted a whole lot more. So your fuel doesn't make you... Uh, there's no chance your fuel can make you sick. And so you can see the progression and growth in uh, in success and mindset there. And um, it looks like Starkey is doing a hybrid where he's carrying concentrate but he's diluting it to... Uh, dilute to regular strength, um, on the fly. And then he's got the best of both worlds. He's not carrying extra bottles and he's got, uh, all the stuff diluted, uh, at the right time. And that, cause I know I've heard some of these people that do the, a bottle per hour. Um, they have to stop and get, uh, refuel at the, um, at the halfway point on the uh, bike. <sighs> with special needs bag. That's what it's called. So anyway. So I'm running yesterday. And you heard me running with Kai. I was in a great mood. I took a picture of me with a horse. <laughs> that was funny. Horse kept trying to eat my, uh, my back. Because I had a camelback on my back. on my back, And it could probably smell me in general. It's like, hey, this guy's got sugar. Mmm, yum. And salt. And... uh. The coolest thing that I realized yesterday, my next training tip, is I ran fine with a Camelback. I took a 20 ounce uh, bike bottle and poured two of that into the Camelback. So I had about 40 ounces of water. And I'm running along, uh, and then on my waist belt, I had my fuel diluted, and I'm just running along. Oh, and I did Hornet juice. I did two servings of Hornet juice uh, yesterday. And that made it great as well. And I biked 65 miles at 21.6 miles per hour. And I was wearing like a kind of a loose jersey and a regular bike helmet. So, uh, and it was really windy. So, you're talking um, potential to be like doing 22 miles an hour for 65 miles or something. And then Uh, Got off the bike and kind of like got my stuff together and uh, then hit the run and ran nine and a half miles at a nine and a half minute mile pace, which is just jogging for me. Unfortunately, I'm not faster than that. That's a a high zone too for me. And um, the Camelback, if you cinch it up, it doesn't bother you. And then you got all the water you could ever need. And also on the bike, the, um, the Camelback I bought is one of these fluorescent yellow, it's like highlighter yellow. And that is awesome to have on your back on the bike because you don't your, um, your potential of being hit by a car drops significantly because you are hideously yellow, um, which is cool. And then you can take that on every ride and it's got little pockets too, you could carry extra stuff. You gotta have like emergency gel or something like that in there if you want it always and then uh, in fact that'd be pretty smart put an emergency gel in there and the um the other thing that hit me was like duh i could have been putting ice water in that camelback uh and i've done that before running with ice water in the summer and it cools you from the inside out and that is uh brilliant and you may say um hey but the hose you're gonna to have to get one of those insulated hoses or else the uh ice water is going to um turn warm in the hose you know while it's over your shoulder in the sun and that's both uh that is correct an insulated hose would be smart but also um if you blow back into the uh camelback hose it'll force uh it'll clear the hose just down to air and then um the water that's in the hose will be back into where all the ice is and that will cool off the, um, the uh, water again. So the next gulp of water you take is ice water. It takes a little bit of extra effort to blow that water back in. Um, I've never done the insulated thing, so I don't know how worth it that is. And, uh, so, but anyway, I, I was kicking ass and I was like, yay! And I've got that foot injury, the plantar fasciitis, and It started hurting about six, seven miles in. I think as I warm up and get moving faster and faster and as I increase speed, because I was probably running a nine, 8.45 pace, um, you know, the second half of that, um, because I was running slower at the beginning, warming up. Um, I think that's what that extra speed um, does me in. and the. uh, So anyway, the foot injury is still there. Still trying to be careful with it and not run faster, or else I would have run faster. So I'm just, uh, I'm just jogging easy. But oh, my point is the um, the camelback. I ran just as fast carrying that camelback as I usually do without it. Not, you know, maybe 10 seconds per mile slower. And um, the reason I remembered it, and it's okay for me to do that, is. Uh, that interview I did with Malte Bruins, the top uh, amateur at Kona, crossed the line wearing a camelback (laughs) first place at Kona on the run, carrying a camelback, so um, if he can do it then uh, there's really not not that much wrong with it, and I was also telling Kai, the one time I've tried the 100 mile trail run uh, twice and uh, the one time I succeeded in it and finished it with time to spare was uh, a lot of time to spare, I think, a few, quite a few hours, um, was uh, when I wore a Camelback. So, how about that? Pretty interesting, huh? Uh, all the hydration you could ever want. And then in the Camelback, I guess you could mix in like some salt and electrolytes if you wanted to. But then you got to clean it or else it'll go bad. But you can throw it in the freezer. And it's, it, nothing will grow in it. It's pretty cool if you do that after every ride. All right, I got to go. I'm going to a school zone. Got to get off the phone. Out, bang. Oh, I forgot. I wanted to mention uh, that was all Sunday. All that, uh, that was four and a half hours of training. And then um, nothing Sunday evening. And I'm getting better at uh, recuperating, taking the time to recuperate. So that Monday morning I could go back to the pool and swim. And um, instead of doing the shoot intervals, the parachute, drag shoot, uh, intervals. I, um, just swam easy, uh, and then started accelerating, accelerating, and then, um, just swam, uh, continuous freestyle and did, uh, I think like 3,500 yards. I only swam 55 minutes. <clears throat> I didn't make it to the pool quite. I didn't make it for a full hour. Didn't get there quite early enough. And, uh, I left, I got in the driveway to leave and I realized I had no belt. So I had to go back into the house, find a belt, <laughs> took a little while, And, uh, but anyway, my point is <clears throat> um, when I was getting up and getting ready to go, um, I, uh, I had like a very small breakfast. but then I had Yucan um, superstarch after a while, about yeah about half an hour, 45 minutes before I got to the pool. I drank that and um, then had a really good swim workout and uh, what I did, for the swim, you got to be careful, by the way, if you add UCAN Superstarch to um, uh, to really hot water. I forgot what the temperature is, but um, 150 degrees or 130 degrees or something like that. Um, the hot water will denature the the uh, resistant starch and turn it into fast-acting starch. It'll undo the whole point of why you bought it and just turn it into straight sugar again. Chemistry 101 and <clears throat> or something. But the, uh, the swim... I did a uh, consistent uh, pace. I kept warming up and warming up and mixed in a few kind of 100-yard intervals, but without stopping, just kind of faster, faster than race pace. And then um, what I wanted to say is that I got up to the point where I was doing about a half Ironman pace and instead of an Ironman pace. Uh, Ironman pace is so slow, it's actually not going to improve you. And then, but if you train at a half Ironman pace, um, then when you back down, so it's basically the top of your aerobic ability and a little bit of muscle strain, just a little bit. And that'll improve your aerobic ability. And it'll also, um, increase your muscle strength. And then on race day, when you're doing an Ironman, um, you back off of that just a little bit. And you know, the, the, uh, the distance you can go at a good clip you know, increases exponentially the slower that you go. So if you run all out, you can only go, uh, you know, a quarter mile before you, um, before you have to stop. But if you slow down to a walk, you can walk across the United States. (laughs) So, um, so if you train at, uh, one level, and then uh, back down then you can uh, go at another level for a really long time and you've built up this efficiency and everything so if you train half Ironman takes some people four hours takes some people six you know seven hours but anyway if you train at what you can do at about a half Ironman pace or speed then uh, when you back down to a uh, Ironman speed then uh, you should be able to finish it comfortably and go all day and just blow up at kind of the end as you should right across the finish line theoretically all right I'm at uh oh so I was doing um I was doing kind of high aerobic but yeah but a little bit of muscle strain, kind of dabbling in and out of overdoing it uh you know kind of you know going over the fence just a little bit and back across the fence over the fence and then back on the side of the fence over the fence and then back on this side of the fence and doing that for almost an hour. And minus the 15, 20 minutes it took me to get up to speed in the first place. And, uh, yeah, that was really, really nice. All right. That is it. I'm at W to the ERK. I need a snack. Oh, the UCAN Superstarch works. Um, man, it works really well. It's really cool. <sighs> I was just cruising along feeling great. And I'm still, like, really not not hungry. Um the need in a snack is more out of habit than uh, than anything else all right out bang all right morning swim done on the way to work w to the erk and have a great training tip for you so i was running on the treadmill last night and saw that um nice high cadence good pace how i was breathing because very hard well let me get back to something uh uh wearing a heart rate strap right so I'm cruising along, um, 135 beats per minute. Cruising along really good. It's very, uh, it's just on the edge of sustainable, but very sustainable. And um, as long as I keep fueling, then I can just keep doing that. Uh, it seemed like forever, and it's it's fast. And uh, it has to do with a nice high turnover and um, and not letting the heart rate climb out of control. So keeping the heart rate at math, which is 180 minus your age or just a, just a tiny bit. That's, that's the breaking point. So you keep it just a little bit under that. So uh, I was watching how I was breathing when I was doing that. And basically I was on the out breath. I was, uh, pursing my lips to about the size of a ballpoint pen. And, um, so that's really a useful thing to know. So, right. So that's, uh, that was my breathing level. That's the effect it had on my body. So when I swam this morning, and I'm not wearing a heart rate strap, I'm just swimming by feel, I did the exact thing, exact same thing. I swam at a medium to high cadence, but only to the point of where I had to breathe out, uh, not huffing for air, but just breathing out, like uh, pursing my lips about to the size of a ballpoint pen. Could fit through on the out breath. And... Um, I ended up swimming uh, 4,075 yards in an hour and my arms never really got that tired. Um, So that's almost an Ironman swim in an hour and it was uh, sustainable actually. Uh, And uh, it's a really, really good training tip to figure out what, what works on the bike or on the run and then do it in the swim. And the one thing that you can carry over is uh, feel and also breathing. Because um, you... Let's say even your heart rate strap fails. Your breathing is a really good indicator of, of the stress on your body. And if you keep your breathing... If you keep the stress down on your body to the point where uh, it's sustainable... And you can tell sustainable by monitoring stuff through practice and seeing what is sustainable then uh, you can replicate in the, uh, in the pool or you can do it for uh, longer workouts. And you know uh, to not, what it, how to keep from overreaching and have a uh, great workout and extend your abilities. So I'm really excited. Uh, Project Broken Wing is where um, I broke my arm in December very badly. And it's really messed up my arm and I'm slowly trying to get back to um, where I was. And I'm essentially there. Um, I'd like to get even faster than what I was. So uh, I think we're really, really, really close. Because the entire time I was swimming and breathing like that, I actually, it kept me from trying too hard. So never, I finished the swim and I felt fine. Like I could have tried a whole lot harder. And, uh, but I didn't. And... That's also a sustainable training. You know, it allows you to get an in consistency, And I still covered some mega yardage, and I'm super stoked. Um, at one point, my, my, my inner elbow, like, tweaked badly. And I was like, oh, oh, man. So um, I'm still not quite there with the, uh, the total arm healing yet. But I'm very happy. I mean, that is fine. That, that speed, <laughs> that's more than enough. Um, I got other things to work on, like my run. Uh, majorly so uh my uh my math speed on the run is like a low nine minute mile which is not good i need to be a lot faster than that so i need to work on that next all right that's it out bang all right let's go ahead and wrap up this show had some interesting stuff happen the uh past couple days i realized had a long talk with emily we're we are now into the critical time to be training for um Ironman Canada, time to start going bigger volume. I got a problem because I got plantar fasciitis in my feet. I have to figure out how to run without, um, without it hurting. And uh, I do know that if I run at an easy pace and not too long, I can actually um, uh, heal and continue uh, running. But the problem is is the incentive to go faster you know, and take on some hills and stuff like that it is uh, so enticing that it keeps messing me up. I ran hard yesterday. Well, not really hard. Well, I don't know. Kind of medium. And, you know, the rest of the day, my freaking foot hurt bad. Both feet, actually. And I ran this morning and was, um, feel fine, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, golly, you know, cut it out, Brett. If I just kind of keep it, you know, at a nice pace, then, uh, I should be able to uh, wing it and uh, keep growing volume without hurting myself and just have faith that the, um, the speed will pick up as I gradually, um, I guess, lose a little bit of weight and get more efficient and all that good stuff. Um, on that note, running and biking with the Camelback. Oh my gosh, this is such, I got. I know I said it earlier, but this is such a game changer. I mean, holy cow, it's so great. Um, If you cinch up the Camelback um, enough, it will not bounce around much. And I'm running with uh, no shirt for an hour, hour and a half, and I'm fine, no chafing. You think it might chafe, but then it actually doesn't. And before um, before the bike or the run, now it's getting really hot here in Texas. I mean, it's like really bad. Um, fill it up mostly with ice, and uh, well, half ice, half water. Kind of depends on how long you're out there and how hot it is. And the um, it's so good to be running. I was running this morning, and oh, to have a sip of cool ice water while you're running along, and also to be running hands free, uh, so you got better form. And oh man, it's great. And I got one like I've said that's um, day glow yellow. It's fluorescent yellow. So I know um, on the bike and on the run, uh, cars can see me a whole lot better. So yesterday, speaking of the bike, Kai had bike practice for an hour. So I brought my bike, and I went off on my own uh, loop uh, for an hour and um, rode while Kai and his team, they go riding with the coaches and do their own loop uh, for about an hour, hour plus. And... The time on the trainer is so incredible. It takes two minutes to get used back to the road again, and then when you hit the when you when you get going, that trainer time you're such a metronome. It's like you're a sewing machine. It's crazy. So I did a I did an hour ride, and I kept it um, right below uh, math maximum aerobic threshold uh, <laughs> uh, function. So for me, that's below 140 beats. So I ended up averaging 132 beats, uh, but that included, you know, starting off and stuff. But, um, so at a hundred an average of 132 beats for an hour, exactly like 59 minutes and 30 seconds or something, um, at 500 feet of elevation gain. So it wasn't flat. It was rolling. Uh, some good little little hills and stuff in there A little bit of crosswind And a little bit of headwind on the way back um, I averaged 23.1 miles an hour <laughs> And I had a cadence Of 87 Aver- Average cadence of 87 So that includes coasting down some hills I had two stop signs I had to uh, stop And touch the ground and then keep going again Kind of roll through real slowly And you know that's all included So that high speed was from high watts, but that high watts comes from high cadence. So if you practice, I've always told people this, if you practice high cadence, then it becomes easier to do, um, As it becomes more easy to do, and then high cadence um, lessens the load on your legs, and then you're able to pedal harder uh, for longer. And I couldn't believe it either. I was just like, I was like, I wonder what my speed was. And it was 23.1 or something, including that slowing down for the stop signs and such. Three stop signs, another thing, Four? Well, anyway. But the um, the other thing, that was, that was cool. And then when I wrapped it up, you know, I was there with Kai and then I came home and had a nice beer, a Shiner Bock, which was pretty cool. And then um, the other cool thing is I posted on Instagram a video of a hognosed snake and so, I was riding, and all of a sudden, there was a, um, a snake on the side of the road. And I stopped my watch and went over and checked it out, because I thought it might be a hog nose, the way it was acting. And um, it, uh, hold on, I got a distraction coming here. It uh, It's so cool, because on the video, you can see hog noses act kind of like cobras, where they... Um, They flatten out their heads whenever they um, get agitated. And I caught it on video. As I got near it, it started flattening out its head. I'm trying to hold my bike because, and trying to use my, keep my bike between it and me, you know, because it's still a snake, even though it's, uh, even though it's harmless. And uh, hold on a second, I'm going to pause. Golly, I had this person like driving up behind me and acting all crazy so it's really distracting you can't drive like that anyway the um the uh, hognose snake is really cool because first, you can tell it's a hognose because its nose turns up at the front just a little bit it has kind of a flat nose it's really weird and then um the other thing it does is when you um when you get in its face some um, first it'll spread its neck out like a cobra um and then it'll. Uh, the next step, well, is it'll flip over on its back and curl up its tail like it's dead. It'll play dead and lay there and expose its belly. And um, it's hard to see on the Instagram video because Instagram cuts off a video. But right after that, it started really twisting over on its side. It was about to um, turn over on its back, and uh, it was curling up its tail. And um, then. Uh, I, I didn't want to mess with it too bad you know. I'm not there to, to torture animals or anything like that I just wanted to get a video of it so I could show Kai and Emily and the, um, then a farmer on a tractor pulls up and he was about to run over it on purpose he started veering at it with the tractor and he thought he was helping me you know, like let's kill this snake because some people are like that they want to just kill snakes especially um, uh, poisonous ones and I got between him and the snake and I said no 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 it's cool I had to yell because you know the tractor is a diesel tractor and uh and he rolled down his window and I said it's just a hog nose it's cool and he goes oh it's a hog nose okay cool and I wouldn't kill a poisonous snake either that's out in the wild you know like minding its own business and um it's part of the the uh what do you call the chain of life or whatever that movie is uh the circle of life you know if it's not bothering you you don't bother it and I'm out I'm out there in its territory but anyway uh I thought I'd share that. The um, so great ride, things are coming together. Um, Ironman Canada is the next big race. Uh, we've got some kids triathlons coming up that I'm going to go do. I'm going to continue with the uh, with the training with the uh, Camelback and update y'all with how well that works and if I keep recommending it. And also, um, yeah, how to manage foot issues and and see if it's possible to keep training and uh, fix things and we'll see all right that's it everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out